The Remarkable Life of Francis Perkins, 1880 to 1965. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Francis Perkins was the first woman to serve in a presidential cabinet in America. She was President Franklin Roosevelt's Secretary of Labor in all four terms of his administration. She's often credited with designing or helping to design many of the New Deal's social welfare programs, including Social Security, Unemployment Insurance, the 40-hour work week, and minimum wage. To tell us about Frances Perkins, we welcome Jim Kaplan. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. Jim Kaplan of New Rochelle, New York, has joined us discussing historical topics linked to New York City and its suburbs. Jim is an attorney and founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. His article on Francis Perkins was published online in the New York Almanac. Frances Perkins began her career in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of uh, New York City, which at the time was a very tough place. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, you might say she began her uh, a professional career. She was uh, uh, born in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, but lived uh, most of her early life in Worcester, Massachusetts, where her father ran a, uh, a uh, stationery store, and he encouraged her to get an education, and she went to uh, uh, Mount Holyoke College, which was in South Hadley, right near where she lived. Uh, and then she uh, uh, went to Chicago, where she taught briefly, and was uh, uh, met uh, Jane Adams of the Hull House, uh, and became somewhat affiliated with uh, uh, so- social work, social work being a... Uh, uh, a profession that a woman could advance in at that time in the early 1900s. Uh, and uh, uh, from there, she went to uh, Philadelphia briefly, but in 1909, she got a fellowship to uh, the social work school at Columbia University, which is one of the leading social work schools in the country. And uh, uh, she also worked with the uh, uh, settlement house movement uh, in New York City, and uh, in that capacity, she was uh, assigned to uh, Hartley House, which was a settlement house in the Hell's Kitchen area, which, as you say, was a very tough area. She also, at that time, uh, traveled in, uh, you might say, upper-middle-class uh, uh, social and intellectual circuits. It's sometimes said that the writer Sinclair Lewis asked her to marry him, uh, uh, so she she had a kind of a broad net of social uh, contacts, particularly upper middle class contacts. But also, I think it gave her a certain cachet that she was working with the poor and working in this very tough neighborhood, uh, uh, Hell's Kitchen, uh, where she uh, the way it would work is that uh, people who lived in this in the settlement house uh, they would live with, with other potential clients and people and. Uh, uh, and they, they would have various uh, uh, people who they would try to help out. Uh, mm-hmm. was, uh, and, and the uh, point was that uh, Perkins and others uh, in the settlement movement, they, they lived with the poor. Is that, is that true? Uh, yes, they lived in the, uh, in, in the settlement houses. And, 
Uh, and really, I think a critical element in her career and a critical element in American history occurred while she was at the Hartley House uh, Settlement House in Hell's Kitchen. And what happened was uh, the, the Settlement House uh, social welfare uh, uh, movement really was designed to have uh, improve, uh, have in, uh, encourage individual improvement. And uh, uh, they were against things like uh, uh, they were for prohibition and really to help people help themselves personally. Uh, they did not engage in politics very much, uh, and uh, uh, they disdained politics. Now, at the time, uh, there was a competing view of how to uh, uh, deal with poverty, uh, which was rampant in New York City. Probably 90% of the people lived in very poor slum neighborhoods, and probably 5 or 10% lived in wealthy neighborhoods. Uh, and uh, Hell's Kitchen was tr a traditionally Irish and German area, mostly Irish for immigrant corps. And uh, she had a client who was a uh, 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 who's uh, the son and the and the family was uh, arrested and was about to go to jail. And he was the sole support of the family, so that would have uh, uh, meant that if he went to jail, they were basically going to starve completely. And she worked with serious social, with a major social work agency, uh, Protestant Welfare Agency, to uh, try to get funding for the family so it would tide them over. Uh, and uh, they went through a fairly significant investigation, and they discovered that his sister had an illegitimate child. So they denied uh, help because they thought that indicated a lack of moral, uh, appropriate moral uh, character. Uh, mm -hmm. And she was uh, asked, and because uh, the family was imminently facing uh, uh, destruction, uh, and in desperation, she went to the competing social group, if you will, which was the Tammany Hall district leader. Uh, Tammany Hall had an entirely different view of how to deal with poverty. Uh, they mm -hmm. generally controlled the government. They would try to get jobs for people uh, who were favored on uh, the police force and elsewhere, and... Uh, uh, and to provide them, uh, you might say, with turkeys on the uh, uh, and various kinds of aid, which most much of which came from graft with various government uh, uh, agencies or from various businesses that they could shake down. And uh, uh, from the, the Protestant social welfare uh, people's point of view, they were the personification of evil because they essentially deluded the poor in these areas to think they would help when they were really uh, 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 ripping them off uh, through government benefits. Now, from the Tammany Hall people's point of view, uh, the, social, well, the Protestant social welfare agencies were uh, hopeless do-gooders. They were agents of the wealthy people and also were deluding people into thinking that they were going to help them when they really couldn't care less about them. Uh, the Tammany Hall had a very, you might say, privatized welfare system. Uh, so for her to go to see the Tammany Hall district leader, Thomas J. McManus, was really quite a step and quite desperation. And what mm. happened was she went to uh, see Mr. McManus, and uh, uh, he said, well, why don't you come back uh, tomorrow afternoon, and, and where do you live? And 
according to her, she tried to hide the fact that she was living in Hartley House. She wouldn't say she get, just gave the address, uh, although his great-grandnephew said he, he certainly would have known where she was from. Uh, but in any event, uh, the next day, he was about to be sentenced uh, two or three days later, and, uh, uh, and she didn't have any money for the family. But the next day, uh, the next morning, the family came to her elated and said, Miss Perkins, all the charges were dropped against him. How did <laughs> yeah. you do it? What did you do? And, uh, you know, she went to see. I mean, now, obviously, McManus was in a position, since he controlled the appointment of judges that the Democratic Party did, to, uh, to put in a word that this guy should be let off. So I, I think that uh, convinced her that maybe uh, there was uh, some merit to the approach of uh, Tammany Hall, this highly corrupt, if you will, uh, social welfare system can really do things mm-hmm. that she couldn't because she had been working for weeks to try to get this yep. help for this family unsuccessfully. Uh, and uh, that, I think, in many ways, that incident, she says in her uh, uh, Columbia or history, was a turning point in her life or in her, uh, uh, in that, uh, you know, she had a different. Uh, somewhat different point of view, uh, and I would argue also that it was a turning point in McManus and the Democratic Party's life, for reasons that I'll get into. So I, right. I think it was that incident that I think was critical in the history of the United States. And I think you made reference to another a terrible event that happened that impacted on Perkins and many other people, and that was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Yes, around that time, she was visiting a friend who lived in Greenwich Village, presumably on, uh, near Washington Square, in one of the upper-class families. And they heard a noise that uh, something was going on at the Ash Building, which is part of NYU now on West 4th Street. And then they went over there, and there was a, that was at the time was uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, which was, uh, you know, a, uh, a factory where immigrant... Uh, Poor women, most uh, well, uh, made shirtwaists. Uh, the uh, uh, there was very little regulation of industrial conditions for workers in the United States. The country was really moving toward uh, industrialization of the cities, and people came off the farms, and immigrants came to the country. But there was, uh, and the conditions in factories were were quite bad. Uh, uh, there was uh, very little regulation of uh, industrial safety, and, uh, uh, and what happened was that uh, a fire broke out in the uh, on the eighth floor of this building, where there were about uh, maybe five hundred people uh, uh, sewing shirtwaists, uh, and uh, the uh, uh, fire escapes were closed. Or there was no. Uh, regulation of fire escapes. So uh, people began to jump out. The, many young women jumped out the window, and she saw this, and she saw what a terrible tragedy was. There were some like 150 uh, women were killed in this uh, fire, which was one of the worst events in New York City. And she was right there. Uh, you, you said that not only did Frances Perkins... Uh, uh, come to appreciate to some extent what Tammany Hall was was doing for people, but that uh, Tammany Hall's leaders 
uh, were also impressed with her? Well, what happened was she, uh, 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 I mean, there, there was an investigation which she actually would head up. She had a job, one of her jobs as uh, a social worker, she was tied in with the Consumer Federation of America, a woman named Florence Kelly, who was one of the leading reformers, and uh, she became a, a lobbyist. Eventually, working in Albany, Frances Perkins comes to be a supporter of Al Smith, who was uh, elected governor in 1918. Uh, can you uh, tell us about uh, Al Smith and uh, his um, importance to the Francis Perkins story? Sure. Well, Al Smith was uh, actually the Speaker of the House at the time uh, in Albany. Uh, uh, she uh, was, uh, at the time of the 54-hour bill, uh, they were con- able to convince Smith that he should try to put it through, uh, uh, and uh, she had to make certain compromises that uh, the cannery uh, workers would be excluded from the bill. But uh, Smith was, uh, uh, but the bill passed, and then she became a fairly, uh, 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 she, she became kind of a rising star in uh, uh, reform politics because she'd gotten through this important bill. And also she had this unorthodox relationship with uh, Tammany Hall and particularly Al Smith. Uh, uh, There was a committee to investigate the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory and Smith, uh, uh, and she was appointed the executive director on the recommendation of Theodore Roosevelt. And Smith, uh, she saw that Smith would be appointed the vice chairman so she worked closely with Smith in investigating industrial conditions in New York State, and uh, that became, uh, and they, they formed a fairly uh, close relationship. Uh, Smith was then, uh, in 1918, some years later, uh, ran for governor as a Democratic candidate. He wasn't considered to be uh, the front runner by uh, any means, but there was a very bad uh, industrial accident, uh, the subway it was a subway uh, accident in uh, uh, a week before the election, and 82 people were killed. And Smith narrowly got elected with a vote from downstate and uh, attacking Republicans for not for trying to break this subway strike. So uh, two uh, two or three weeks later, he called uh, Fr- Perkins, who had who had supported him. Perkins had actually uh, spoke for him. This was the first time that women. Were, uh, uh, could vote, and that was very unusual, too. It was to the shock of many of her reform polit- uh, politics. She would support Al Smith over uh, uh, Charles Whitman, who was uh, considered a good anti-Tammany uh, Republican. Uh, and uh, 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 he asked her to be the uh, uh, take a seat on the uh, New York State Industrial Board, which paid about mm-hmm. 8000 which was a very high salary for someone at that uh, time. It was considered one of the plum patronage jobs that uh, the governor or Tammany Hall would have to uh, give out. And the fact that he would give it to a young Protestant woman who was had been affiliated with the Reformers really caused some uh, dissension in the Tammany ranks. But, but Smith held his ground and uh, said she's going to be the industrial board. Uh, and then uh, Smith um, uh, 
in that capacity, over a period of several years, she in essence became Smith's key advisor on labor and social welfare matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, she aggressively pushed uh, uh, industrial safety and the safety for workers. She uh, experimented with workmen's comp. She uh, uh, began a form of try to implement a form of uh, unemployment insurance. So pretty soon the Smith administration, which uh, you know, obviously Tammany Hall had a very bad reputation, uh, was known for being a fairly progressive or one of the most progressive uh, uh, government uh, state governments in, in the country, and this really mm-hmm. became a leader in the country. And as a result, Smith became the Democratic candidate for president in 1928. And mm-hmm. Francis Perkins was really one of his key advisors. In fact, it was once quipped in Tammany Hall that Smith, uh, uh, actually Smith was had never gone to college, never gone to, uh, gotten to high school. That he, he, the only book he ever read was uh, the Life of John L. Sullivan. But mm-hmm. it was said he didn't need a book. He had a book named Francis Perkins. So uh-huh. Perkins was really a critically important element to uh, Governor Smith, and a critically important element to the rise of New York state government and its very progressive reputation in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, uh, now Smith Ranchy went around with him with, uh, in 1928, and uh, re- when he ran for president, uh, he had uh, uh, several things going against him. Firstly, he was Catholic. Secondly, he was from New York. Thirdly, he was from Tammany Hall, and secondly, and fourthly, he opposed prohibition. Uh, on the other hand, what he had running for him was this very progressive rec- uh, record in New York State as governor, and you know which Perkins really had been a key element in. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I would say that she was really critical to Al Smith, and really was, in a sense. The, 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 some might even say the brains of Tammany Hall no, in the 1920s. Okay, and I want to get her up to Franklin Roosevelt anyway. So in yeah. 1928, Smith loses the presidential election, but Franklin Roosevelt narrowly wins the contest for New York governor. Uh, did Roosevelt then uh, kind of bring uh, Francis Perkins into his uh, government as well? Well, Roosevelt was, uh, in a sense, Smith's handpicked successor. You know, he was, although he was a, a uh, uh, Protestant uh, and a later reformer, you know, he was part of the Democratic coalition and, and, and was really, uh, uh, um, so, and they were, they were close allies at, at one time. Later they had a break. But uh, so um, when, when uh, Roosevelt was elected governor, uh, he did, uh, well, uh, he asked uh, Perkins to be the head of the Labor Department, which was very mm-hmm. unusual for a woman to be the head of a major department in a state government at that time. Uh, he did not take other uh, Smith advisors, such as Robert Moses or Bill Moskowitz, but uh, 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 Roosevelt had known Francis from the early days in uh, in the village. You know, he was. They were both. Uh, you might say Protestant uh, upper class uh, people. She was an Ivy League person, and, uh, uh, and but she she at the time thought he was kind of a uh, you know a, a not uh, 
very arrogant young man, but uh, after he had polio, she thought he changed, changed dramatically. And mm. she went, uh, so she became his labor, his labor secretary. And uh, in the 19, uh, in the 20, between, as the Depression began to hit in 1929, mm. uh, she began to uh, be kind of uh, his, uh, you might say, the, the Democratic Party's attack dog, because she would point out the, the the great extent of unemployment and the federal government at the time under Hoover would keep saying, well, you know, uh, prosperity is just around the corner. It's not really not that bad. But she had the statistics to know that it was bad and she would publicize that. And she became a leading, the most articulate critic, a leading critic nationally of the Hoover administration and uh, their failure to deal with the the, the problems of depression and the problems of workers. So she was, uh, again, her, her reputation grew in a sense, and she was Franklin Roosevelt's right-hand woman, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, and then, so when he was elected, uh, he named her to his, his cabinet as labor secretary, first woman cabinet member, and she stays in that cabinet until uh, after Roosevelt's death. Yeah, she was... Uh, uh, really, uh, probably his key advisor. Although many people later would say Harry Hopkins or uh, uh, Ickes, but but that was really uh, many people today would say that was because they were men, and she kind of kept a, a, a lower profile as a woman. But in fact, she designed many of the, uh, if not most of the, uh, New Deal programs. Uh, uh, the WPA, the uh, CCC, uh, she was the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act. She had much greater protection for workers. The NLRB, which uh, permitted unions to go. But probably her major accomplishment was Social Security. Social Security was, uh, at the time, there was pressure on Roosevelt to provide a, uh, uh, a subsidy to uh, older workers or to provide... Uh, uh, payment, but she designed this whole system based on uh, uh, payroll taxes and based on which had had been used in some of the European countries. And that today is considered to be the greatest and most important Mm anti-poverty program of the federal government in American history. Uh, I think if you think about it, I guess you and I probably do collect social checks every, every month or so. And it really meant that older people could live to some extent independently of their children. And that's psychologically was important, and it really uh, greatly reduced uh, poverty among uh, older people, though they weren't put out to pasture once they could no longer work. I was sur- surprised to read that she was investigated by the House Un-American Activities Committee, but this was fairly early on. I mean, I think of that more as a creature of the late 40s and 50s, but apparently uh, there was some man who was... In the late 30s, obviously, as as Roosevelt's key uh, advisor on these broad social welfare programs of the Big Deal, that engendered considerable opposition by Republicans and conservative Republicans who would call it socialism. Uh, and uh, she was also part of her role at the time as the as Secretary of Labor was uh, to uh, oversee immigration. And there was a uh, labor leader named uh, 
Harry Bridges from the uh, 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 West Coast, who was an avowed communist, who was led into the country. And uh, she was investigated for supposedly letting communists into the country. I know it was a, a little early, but they, that was the basis of an impeachment proceeding. Uh, I would say at that time, and it did hurt her ability, as it did you know, this whole uh, problem with her being an uh, uh, attempt to impeach her. But it was, it was very much political, obviously. And uh, uh, she, she, she uh, was able to defeat it. Uh, I, I would say after the first, Second World War broke, uh, you know, Roosevelt's priorities, in a sense, changed from social welfare to the war, so her role became somewhat less important. But uh, uh, she was involved one of the things to be years, and I think uh, was really uh, probably his most important advice. What did she do uh, after Roosevelt uh, passed away, you know, after she was no longer in the government? Uh, she was a uh, uh, civil service commissioner. She was appointed by uh, Harry Truman. Now, she was still highly respected, but uh, you know she wasn't part of Truman's uh, inner circle the way she'd been with Roosevelt. And uh, uh, she later um, became somewhat more religious, was active with religious, and also went to uh, uh, taught at Cornell for many years in the Cornell uh, School of Labor Relations. Uh, uh, and she died in uh, 1985. Uh, uh, and, uh, so, uh, and to bring it up to, to today, I know, uh, Jim Kaplan, you, you're interested in what they do in New York City in terms of honoring people. There's been an effort to name a street for uh, Frances Perkins in New York City? Well, yes. About five years ago, I actually wrote an article for the uh, uh, history blog uh, urging that she be on the $20 bill, and there was a look about women on a $20 bill, and that had other supporters, including Nancy Posley. Uh, that, well, unfortunately, went nowhere, as you know, Harriet uh, uh, Tubman was named, and it'll never come up. But a much less ambitious project would be to name the uh, street around Hartley House uh, on 46th Street, uh, which we did get through the uh, uh, Community Board 4, which is the uh, uh, procedure, and then it should have been uh, uh, enacted on by the city councilman in that area, who was Corey Johnson, actually the council president. Uh, and, and that was promoted, ironically, the uh, uh, McManus Democratic Club, which was Thomas J. McManus's club, uh, uh, survived until uh, almost a year ago. And uh, uh, and uh, there was uh, one of uh, Thomas J. McManus's great-granduncle, Jimmy McManus, who was the district leader there, for 54 years, was was really uh, very interested in this, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, we uh, petitioned to the community board for to have the street by uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Hartley House. Now, very few people, if any, knew who Frances Perkins was, and certainly knew didn't know of her right. affiliation with Hell's Kitchen. So, uh, I, I believe this would be quite important. You might mention the Department of Labor Building in Washington's. Name for Perkins. Uh, Jim Kaplan has joined us discussing the life of New Deal Secretary of Labor, Francis Perkins. Jim Kaplan is an attorney and founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. His article on Francis Perkins was published online in New York Almanac. The Historian's podcast depends on your contributions. 
You can link to our GoFundMe page from our website, bobcudmore.com, or send a check made out to Bob Cudmore to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thanks for listening.